0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for joining me here today. Hey, folks, uh, I'm I'm just having a kick in the pants uh, in introducing different friends uh, to you that have impacted my life and who I think are gonna impact yours. Today's guest is Johanna Winder. Johanna Winder is a mental health professional practicing in both Washington and in Texas, uh, she's really specialized in treating folks with post-traumatic stress. And more recently, because of her own life experience, she's really focused on the first responder, military, or veteran communities. Johanna is a proud uh, mom and wife of a 20-year police veteran. And I, I think regardless of whether you are in that category of first responder or military I think you're going to have some great takeaways for for ways that you can take care of yourself. Ways that you can make sure that your your health is great. So uh, stay tuned here for just a second. I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into that, as always, I want to talk about our sponsor. The sponsor of the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast is Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to helping our nation's heroes. That's right. Those veterans that are returning with post traumatic stress or with other war related injuries, yep, Service Peace Warriors is filling that gap. At no cost to the veteran, they acquire, they train up, and they equip our veterans with a service dog. You got to check out their website, servicepeacewarriors.org. If you want to get involved at no cost, Google search Amazon Smile. And you'll find out how you can connect your Amazon account to Service Peace Warriors. And that every single time you spend a little money on Amazon, Amazon's going to throw a few pennies to Service Peace Warriors. In fact, today I got a little alert on my phone that Amazon sent a few pennies to them. So really great organization to get involved in, folks. Please check them out at ServicePeaceWarriors.org. With that, we got to get into this interview, folks. You're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Let's check out my conversation with Johanna. Good evening, Johanna Winder. Thank you for joining me here on the Two Feet on the Grand Gravity podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Chris.
0: Hey, I know that you and I have had a number of conversations in the past, uh, but I want to rewind back a little bit for my listeners just so they know uh, who you are a little bit. So what you're a mental health professional, both in Washington and Texas. Uh, What got you into this work? And can you maybe talk about like the early days when you first got started?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I have been doing this work for about 11 years now. Um, When I started, I was working mostly community mental health jobs. So what that means is I was working in uh, low-income clinics, uh, working with people who sometimes had pretty severe mental health issues going on. And I actually worked only with children and families for the first five years. And uh, then I decided I was ready to branch out a little bit, start working with um, adults. And then I worked for five years at uh, one of the biggest sexual assault centers in the country. So at that point, I was only working with uh, sexual assault survivors. And uh, they were of all ages, as young as six, as old as. Uh, well, there wasn't really an upper limit, and then during the pandemic, I had a lot of things shift for me, and I um, launched a private practice. So I started a business in the middle of the pandemic, and that was um, kind of a wild idea. But for a lot of reasons, um, I am a police wife, and it uh, was really impacting us as a family to see how police were being lauded at the beginning of the pandemic as heroes for being first responders and being willing to go to work um, and risk getting sick or being killed by COVID um, for the greater good. And then in a matter of months after the murder of George Floyd, they were um, pariahs and it got to the point where I didn't even always feel safe identifying myself as a police wife and i felt like gosh i need to do something here i need to help my blue family and i wasn't sure what the right step was but then reflecting on what am i good at what are my skills and i'm a i'm a trauma therapist i I'm, i've have a lot of training in treating trauma and being a first responder family is something that's near and dear to me and i know it and i live it and i can bring those two things together and start a business doing that and the business took off really quickly. I um, very quickly filled up and had to leave my job at the sexual assault center. And that's what I do full-time now.
0: Wow. What has the, the impact been that you've seen on on that first responder veteran community, the, the negative national sentiment? I, I think there's still a huge majority of the people out there that love police, support our police officers of, for the remarkable work that they go out and do every day but but obviously there there was also especially on the major news channels a lot of uh, negativity that you know was being communicated what what did you see happening within the blue lives uh, the police lives uh, kind of the reactions to that
1: Well, I was living in Seattle at the time, in the city of Seattle, so I think I was just exposed to a higher concentration of um, anti-police rhetoric, and people said, you know, just a lot of the sentiment that ACAB and that there's no such thing as being a good police officer, and that was really hard because I know and you know that most Officers are doing this because they want to help people and they want to serve their communities. They're coming to this profession for noble reasons. And it was really sad how um, see some really bad examples like Derek Chauvin were ruining it for all of uh, all of the police community. Um, so a lot of I think a lot of um, our community came together during that time because, you um, they still very much believed in the work and wanted to serve their communities, even if people, even if their communities hated them and were telling them so and treating them as such. We saw a lot of police officers leave Seattle and that was really hard. Uh, a lot of police officers even left the state of Washington after some legislation changed. And uh, a lot of vets, um, in, in my experience, a lot of there's obviously a lot of overlap between vets who then go on to become first responders, but um, the vets who aren't themselves first responders who I've been working with are, have generally been pretty um, in line with you know, feeling a part of that first responder community and um, feeling loyal to their country and, uh, and still wanting to serve their communities despite um, all, of the, all of the violence that was going on.
0: Yeah. Have you seen an increase both maybe in the first responders and veterans and and their families uh, in in anxiety, in depression? Have these gone up or do you feel like it's about the same as it normally is for these communities?
1: Well, I think we definitely saw a huge increase in willingness to reach out for help because the pandemic really just um, uh, created a lot of new stressors in an already stressful situation. We know how stressful it is to be a police family during normal times. And then the pandemic on top of it, there was just that you know added physical risk of going to work when you could potentially get sick or bring home illness to the family. I remember working with um, police officers who had to quarantine from their own family when they'd get off shift. And uh, that's not something a lot of us who work from home had to think about. Um, just the daily disruptions of having having school not be in session or when it was back in session, not full time and all the activities that kids do not being in session, gyms being closed, the social isolation that the pandemic forced a lot of us into and the loss of support systems because people became pretty polarized during this time, not only over COVID, but over other political issues. And for a lot of people, they lost a lot of social support. And then the financial loss that um, people who had to um, take some time away from work, whose workplace is shut down. So all of those issues on top of an already stressful career drove a lot of people to, to my office and they were seeking help for the first time. I'm a lot of people's first ever therapist. And a lot of people have said something along the lines of, it just got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. and. Um, I knew I needed to reach out for help. And I think that we've done a pretty good job, especially in the police community and starting to see in other first responder communities of recognizing the need to um, t- to seek out help when it's needed. And that mental health is just as important as physical health. And there's nothing wrong or shameful about saying that I'm not at 100% right now.
0: Yeah, I can't remember what 3 years it was. I want to say it was 17, 18 and 19 when the re I say the realities when the recorded police officer suicide rates surpassed the the line of duty deaths from people feloniously killing them, murdering them. And mm-hmm. and you know there's a lot of conversation there the fact that it was probably higher always, but it just wasn't being captured accurately. And so I'd seen this huge push before COVID to uh, the conversation was getting to where, hey, it's okay to not be okay. If you're not doing well, if you're struggling, right? Just like if I if I twist my knee, I'm not going to like hide it. I'm going to go to my boss and say, hey, my knee's jacked up. I need to go to the doc and the physical therapist. And I need to get strong. I'd seen this shift and I'm thankful that it started to shift before COVID and the anti-police protests and whatnot. Because um I have seen more people raising their hand and saying, hey, right here, I'm not I'm not doing good. Uh, and I'm thankful just because people suffering in silence wasn't gonna help, right? I mean, it was just gonna make the stress reactions, responses worse, and something you specialize in, PTSD, that's where it was gonna drive them to, I have no doubt. Right. And what are some of those stress responses? Because here's the thing: regardless of whether somebody's part of the law enforcement family, a military community, uh, it's been a tough couple years. Uh, like a lot of the things you just said, people out of work, uh, strained relationships because of the de- divisiveness. You you had to pick a side. You couldn't be in the middle. You couldn't just get along. You have to pick right or left. And uh, so I think that could benefit the listeners. What what are some of those stress responses or stress reactions that people often? maybe experience, but maybe in their minds, they're like, Oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. We're in reality. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with you. This is a normal response to a really really stressful period of time. So what are some of those stress responses or reactions that you've seen and that maybe listeners could be, have a little bit of peace of, there's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. Now we'll need to take it a step further in a little bit to what to do about it. But just like right now, what are some of those stress responses or reactions?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with what you said, that idea that it's, it's okay to not be okay. That, that exact quote, I, um, have heard echoed by many people I've worked with that they're recognizing that it's not weak to ask for help. It's it's the strong thing to do the right. The, the weak thing to do is to pretend like my knee is, is fine and to go out and injure it even further. And then I'm really going to be out of commission for a long time. It's the same with mental health. It's, way better and way easier to acknowledge something earlier on than to wait for it to fester and get worse. And that's what trauma tends to do is it tends to fester and get worse. It doesn't tend to get better. So some of those stress responses, um, we definitely saw um, a huge uh, increase in sleep disruption. So people with insomnia and with kids just um, getting off their sleep schedules, staying up all night on their devices and then There
0: was nowhere to go tomorrow. So why not? You know?
1: Right. Yeah. And if online school starts at 9am, I can wake up at 855, roll out of bed and log into school. So we we certainly saw a lot of sleep disruption, Um, irritability. So feeling like you just have less in your tank, not being as patient with loved ones, snapping, difficulty concentrating is certainly a common stress response. And a lot of people will start to neglect the very things that would actually be good for them in those cases. So people won't go to the gym and work out when we know that being physically active is one of the best things you can do for your stress. They won't reach out for support because, oh, it's a pandemic. I can't do anything anyway. And for people who tend to run a little bit more on the quiet or shy side, this was a really easy excuse. Oh, now I don't have to reach out to anybody anymore. But conversely, that then made people have less support when they weren't reaching out to loved ones or family or friends. So those are some of the common stress responses that I
0: saw. Yeah. Hey, you wrote something recently for policeone.com and, and it was within these kind of these guidelines and I, I just really felt like it was helpful. It was back on March 7th uh, of this year, 2022, and it was titled Five Myths and Truths about officers and PTSD. And I, I loved it because uh, something that I suffered when I experienced PTSD was that negative self-talk, the lies that I was telling myself all the time. And I believed them. And it was preventing me from really getting help. Lies like, I'm losing my mind. They're going to tell me I'm crazy. I can't can't be a police officer anymore. It was very freeing when I first went to a counselor and they, she looked me in the eye and said, Chris, you're not losing your mind. It's a really normal response to all the not normal stuff that you are exposed to that vicarious trauma that you're exposed to as a police officer. So if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind touching on a couple of those. I've jotted down a, a couple of those points that you made. And if you don't mind just responding to the lie and then what's, what's the counter to it? What's the truth that goes along with this? So the first one I really loved is you put uh, having PTSD means I'm weak. And I know you just kind of talked in that a little bit, if you can unpack that a little bit, a little bit more.
1: Yeah. And that's, And this article was based on a lot of the anecdotal information I hear from people, um, both in my office and from my colleagues about what people say when they're seeking um, therapy for PTSD. Well, PTSD has so many, uh, it has a lot of connotations that come with it. People hear that and they think, wow, that's big. That means that something in you broke. That means that uh, maybe you have flashbacks and that you're dangerous or that you, um, you can't carry a gun anymore. And a lot of people, when they are first diagnosed with PTSD, sometimes have this idea that, oh, I couldn't handle it anymore and I'm weak. And why did I have such a weak reaction to something that other people have experienced and they were fine? So it must be something about me. And the truth is that there are some protective factors and there are some factors that make it more likely that someone will have PTSD, but we don't have a perfect way of predicting whether somebody will have PTSD or not. And even people who do everything right, who take care of themselves and have really strong support systems. And try to work through something traumatic as it happens, they can still go on to develop PTSD. And a lot of uh, a lot of the time I've heard stories about, somebody will tell me, Oh, this guy I work with. Yeah. He's so strong. And he's usually the guy who does CrossFit who's really ripped and he, you know, he's bulletproof, nothing bad could happen to him. And sometimes, sometimes it turns out that guy has PTSD. So there's just not a good way of predicting who's going to get it. And who's not, we have, we have a few things that we know, but but it certainly doesn't make you weak. What's unfortunate is when people think that, they it stops them from seeking help and like I said, if somebody has PTSD, it's generally not going to get better on its own. Once it's at that point of PTSD, they need to seek professional help for it to
0: resolve. And uh, you know, something I'm I'm very aware of is that not all counselors are built the same, and that's not a bad thing, right? Because if I'm having problems in my marriage i'm i want to go and seek out someone who specializes in in relationships and you know marriage counseling if i'm having problems with my finances i guess that may not be a mental health professional but i mean i would go out and seek out someone who specializes in finance so yeah. what a, what is someone looking for if somebody is experiencing i mean they can't self-diagnose themselves so maybe they're experiencing a lot of anxiety they're feeling depressed they're they're experiencing some of these things that sometimes go along with uh, a post traumatic stress injury or post traumatic stress disorder what are they looking for in a counselor? What, like, who do they look for? You know, some people are lost. They have no clue who to reach out to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And our profession in mental health is not quite like MDs where they clearly delineate their specialties, right? If you are having some sort of gastrointestinal issue, you'd go to a GI specialist. You wouldn't necessarily go to your primary care physician unless just, just to get a referral to see the specialist. So we know in medicine that we, we need to go to specialists when we have a specialized issue. PTSD is an area of specialty and it's not something that a general counselor can treat well, who doesn't have some sort of advanced training in treating trauma. So if you have a trauma related, if you're having mental health concerns that are, that are related to trauma, something Uh, horrible or awful that you've been through, I would look for somebody who is trained in um, an evidence-based model. So they should have that on their psychology today profile or on their website, how they were trained and the three gold standard treatment models for PTSD are prolonged exposure or PE cognitive processing therapy or CPT. And then um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR. So those are the three with the most evidence behind them. And I would seek out somebody who's trained in at least one of those.
0: Awesome. I think that's extremely helpful. I, I've had a lot of folks ask me where do I start. So uh, you you mentioned uh, Psychology Today. Uh, so do most mental health professionals have a profile on there? That and that might be a good spot, both on geography and then specialties
1: it's I'm laughing because I was actually thinking about deactivating my profile earlier today.
0: (laughs) So maybe not.
1: (laughs) I, I think hmm, I would say a good percentage of, of mental health counselors are on there, but not certainly not everybody. The reason I was thinking about deactivating my profile was because my practice tends to be pretty full and a lot of referrals tend to come from word of mouth rather than psychology today. If people are seeking me out, it's because they are a first responder and they, they know about me and they want to work with me for that reason. Um, but I think it's a good place to look and you can narrow it down in the search features by the uh, treatment models. And you can also narrow it down by diagnosis. So You can look up PTSD. But again, the fact that somebody says I treat PTSD isn't enough. They need to say how they treat PTSD and if they don't have a good answer or can't tell you what model they would use, then to me, that's a red flag.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's helpful. Thank you. Hey, there was a second point you made in that article. The second, uh, there was a total of five, obviously, cause it's titled five myths. Uh, <laughs> but the other one that I wrote down that I wanted us to get to was that PTSD is never going to go away. I'm just stuck with it. Right. I'm cursed with this. My life is over. What would you say about that?
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. This is probably the biggest point I wanted to drive home in that article because that myth is deadly. It truly is deadly. And it's, it's, it's patently false. Um, PTSD is one of the most treatable mental health issues that there is. And not every mental health issue is, can be cured, right? If somebody has, if somebody has bipolar disorder, for example, we don't have a way to cure that. We have ways to manage that. And somebody who has bipolar should certainly be in treatment to manage it, but we, c- we don't have a way to make it go away forever with PTSD. We can, and we do. And that's really exciting. I've met people who've struggled with PTSD for decades for most of their lives and seen it go away when they get the right treatment and it stays gone. And sometimes it kind of feels like magic because you think there's no way, there's no way that could just go away. And it, and it does. Now, some people have a little bit more treatment resistant PTSD than others, but, but PTSD tends to, um, it tends to respond very well to the right treatment.
0: Wow. Hey, I think you've touched on this a little bit, but it was a note I had here and I wouldn't mind just getting more into it. If someone Let's say someone's villain just anxious, right? They aren't sure whether they need to go talk with a counselor or not. What are some great self-care uh, practices that people can put in place? Uh, maybe a handful of them, right? And if they grab a couple of them, it's better than nothing. But what are some great things that they can put in place to take care of, of their mind and their body right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the best pieces of advice I have, especially as a lot of our work lives have come home and a lot of more of us work from home than we used to. I never used to work from home. And now I only work from home is create literally create boundaries in your home. If you are working at home, try to have a separate space. If you have the room um, where you work and where you sleep, try not to work in your bedroom if you can help it. And I would also say, try to stick to a start and end time of your day. So there's, there's a really clear delineation between when you're working and when you are family Um, I know for me, now that I work at home, it's really easy for me to say, oh, I just finished my sessions and I can do my notes and paperwork later and now I'm going to go play with my kids. And the trade-off to that is then my workday didn't end. I still have to at some point finish all that documentation and that's going to have to happen at some point during my off time. So it might be easier for me just to say, I'm going to extend my workday a little bit longer and finish it. So when I'm done, I'm actually done. But I think the other thing that's important is having some self-care, um, techniques that are different categories of things. So for a lot of people, um, and for me included exercise is my go-to, I am a runner running for me is the best way for me to clear my mind, to, to reduce my, my anxiety, But what if you have an injury and you can't exercise, what can you do? You need to have some other things in your toolbox. So whether that's, you know, relying on faith or spirituality, whether that's talking to a friend or doing something more creative, um, have different types of tools. Don't just have 10 screwdrivers. So that would be, that would be my
0: advice. I like it. Hey, I'm going to add something onto the end there if that's okay, because I feel like it If if someone hears you saying it, they're like, oh, she's just trying to sell me a counselor. Here's the deal. (laughs) The the other thing that we all need to do is that we need to have a counselor. And let, let me explain here. I don't wait until I have problems with my teeth to find a dentist. I don't wait until I have problems with my eyes to find an eye doctor. I don't wait until all of a sudden I'm grossly overweight and having issues with diabetes and think, okay, well, maybe I should go to a doctor. I go to a doctor once a year minimum just to get a tune-up, I go to my dentist a couple times a year, just to make sure everything is is working there. I, I I strongly believe that if if folks treated their mental health like they treat their overall physical health, their 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 mouth health, their oral health, their their vision, I think we would be in a better spot because then you go to a counselor maybe only once a year, you, you check in, you great conversation, and and you leave. But then if there's a crisis. You have someone to go to because here's the deal: you get in a bar fight, and and you get all your teeth knocked out and you're bleeding out of your mouth. It's not the time to find a dentist, and that that is the way I would say is the equivalent of having PTSD. Uh, and I totally stole that from another guest that's probably going to air one week before yours, so I have to sit there and you know throw that out there that uh, not not my original analogy with the bar fight, but wow, I, I just I say wow. <laughs> yeah, well, my my old one was was my old analogy was. If you have a cavity you want to know where to go and and my previous guest stopped me and goes chris we're not talking about cavities here uh you know when you're talking about post-traumatic stress we're talking about you know being in a bar fight and all your teeth are knocked out. Like, yeah that's actually a really good point because that's the way i felt when i finally landed myself on a counselor's couch and because i was i was in a bad way uh overwhelmed with stress overwhelmed with anxiety and starting to experience depression hey how this has been tough on our kids Depending on the state you were in, I have some family and friends down in Texas, and for a lot of them, they really didn't have the disruption that some of us had around the rest of the country, meaning schools stayed in session on the most part. But in other states, there were some kids that were out of school for a year, year and a half, and I saw an impact on my children. I saw it impact their, their social anxieties, their, their relationships, their communication skills, and they're remarkable human beings, but they're being impacted by their, their environment. What can we do as parents, both within the law enforcement community and just the community at large? How can we connect with our kids, maybe kind of try to assess where they're at, and then how can we help them?
1: Yeah, yeah. The pandemic certainly had a lot of effects on kids. And I think we're just now starting to see some of those crop up. Um, You know, I I hear from people who work in schools that there are physical fights at schools every day. I'm hearing that from a lot of the school resource officers and gosh, and it didn't necessarily used to be that way that this has had a big effect on kids. I am a big proponent of Like letting kids know that it's normal to have emotions and that we don't expect them to have it together all the time, just like we can not expect ourselves to have it together all the time. And we can model the healthy expression of emotions to our kids. That's how they're going to learn. So if we are feeling sad, maybe, you know, the news about Ukraine is is very sad and being able to talk about that and and show our kids that we're sad about that is, is actually healthy and I always say within developmental limits. So you don't want to necessarily tell a kid all the awful details of something you're seeing in the news, but what's developmentally appropriate for them and letting them know how to, how to talk about their feelings and how to express them. If we don't do this, sometimes kids will think that it's something is wrong with them. If they are having a strong emotion and they'll try to suppress it. And that's, the way down a long road of, you know, really hard time handling emotions. And it puts them at risk of uh, mental health issues down the road. Keeping kids' lives as predictable as possible is also really helpful. Kids' routines were completely upended during COVID. So trying to give them a semblance of a routine if you can, if if you homeschool your kids or if they're in an online school, trying to keep the, the start times and end times same every day giving them extracurriculars where they can see other kids and have that social time back and making sure they also just have time to relax and be a kid are all really helpful things to promote kids' mental
0: health. Wow. I really appreciate that. Some areas that we've been leaning into and and I felt this too. This is the weird thing like i'm a very relational person like let's give hugs right like we, we you know we can't do that through zoom here right now so we won't do that but I, it, when i see people especially people i know people i care about right i mean i i i really thrive on relationship but after being separated for for the period of time that we were and i mean obviously within my job i was still going out being in the community but but i really didn't feel free for a while and i experienced this, this feeling of, I don't want to go out. Like, like it was almost like I had gotten comfort with just, you know, being in this routine of being at home and finding something on Netflix or, you know, or, or, or whatever. And I had to force myself, no, you need to get out. You need to engage in relationships. You know, you like it. And, and I, and it took a little bit though. I don't know. Have you seen or heard anything similar?
1: Yes. Yes. At the beginning of the pandemic, several of my colleagues and I were all saying, when this ends, there's going to be a huge surge of social anxiety, which is ringing true now. Now that a lot of the restrictions have lifted and things are supposed to be going back to normal, a lot of people are like you saying, "I don't, I don't want to," or "I'm, I'm not feeling as social as I used to," and I don't want to let my kid leave home. What if something happens? And that's very natural for um, for someone to feel that way after a pandemic. But what we know about anxiety is anxiety feeds on avoiding. And Mm. the more you avoid doing something that you are afraid of, the stronger that fear gets. So, and sometimes that's a good thing, right? If you are afraid of um, driving fast and getting into an accident or getting a ticket, that fear is probably good. But if you are afraid of leaving the house because it might be uncomfortable or it might put you into um, an awkward situation or you might get sick, or whatever that fear is, I would really try to lean into that because long-term, we know that social connection is one of the most important parts of
0: our mental health. Hey, you, you already mentioned this before, when I asked you to list some things that we could do, but, but now that you just talked about relationships, I wouldn't mind you maybe unpacking this a little bit more. What is the power of talking? What's the power of, of me telling someone who I trust with that trust factor of me telling them what's going on inside my head, inside my body, how I'm feeling.
1: By talking about it, you can start to let go of some of the weight that it has on you. So that's something I always talk about with my first responder clients is who can you talk to in your life? Who that's not me can you talk to when you have a bad day, when you have a critical incident? And by all means, talk to me about it. But when I'm not in your life anymore, who can you talk to about these kinds of things? And I encourage a lot of people to try to have that kind of a relationship with their spouse, because most spouses are capable of hearing the things, maybe not every last detail, but they're capable of hearing the kinds of things that, that people do in their, in their work. I think you just let go of some of that. And and the other thing is that um, sometimes by talking about it, that's when you're able to let out some of that emotional response, right? So somebody might be pushing pushing their sadness down and pushing it down. And by talking about what happened, they might start crying. And while that can be uncomfortable, then it the potency of it reduces.
0: Yeah. I, I felt when I was really struggling, I was keeping it a secret because I, I, there was shame there. I was ashamed and I thought I was broken and I, all those lies were coming in. And when I started talking about it, and again, with people that I trusted, the way they responded to me with empathy, and with care and then some people being like oh my gosh i went through something like that and then they told me a piece of their story and then it really just made me feel like hey i'm i'm normal like i didn't know my other friends had dealt with something similar but now all of a sudden they're telling me their story that's it's not exactly the same but it's enough the same with me that i, I i'm like oh my gosh like we all deal with this and and he's doing good and she's doing good i'm going to be okay like i'm going to be able to work through this and it took a lot of work again it took me uh, reaching out and connecting with the counselor. And then as you mentioned before, having, I like the toolbox analogy, because there's some folks that they're like, and this is the way I was, there's no way I'm going to take any medication. I don't do drugs. I learned it in dare. I'm not going to start now. No. And, uh, what I really push people to do is, is why would you not have a tool in your toolbox if there's room for it? Right. Mm -hmm. You may not need it right now. Mm -hmm. What if you do, or what if you need it Mm -hmm. in five years? Let's not sit there and draw limits on on ways that you can get better. What uh, what ways can people be watching some of your work? Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Snapchat or not Snapchat? I'm sorry, I'm, that's that's a totally different social media app that I don't even use. But uh, what are ways that people can just be you know kind of watching some of the work that you're that you're up to and some of your thoughts.
1: Yeah, my website is braviracounseling.com. So B R A V U R A counseling.com. And I'm on LinkedIn just under my name, Johanna Wender. And I am um, on Facebook under Bravira Counseling. And I'm also on Instagram. My goodness, um, first responder counselor is my uh, name there. But I'm pretty new to Instagram. So I'm still figuring that one out.
0: Well, you know I can't point fingers at you, Johanna, because uh, that's the way we connected, and you see how much I post on all those different things. So, uh, and I'll drop all those links, uh, listeners. All those will all be down in the comments. Whether you're consuming this on YouTube or on a podcast platform, just look down in the comments, and there'll be some some quick links to all of Johanna's uh, website and her different social media outlets. If you were gonna leave folks with one thing, what's what's something that that they can take away from from our conversation? to, to focus on, on their, their own wellness.
1: I would say it's, it's never too late. It's never too late to prioritize your mental health. It's never too late to ask for help. Um, Now that doesn't mean wait to wait forever because it, it will never be too late, but it's never too late to reach out for help. You are never a lost cause. You are never beyond the point of getting help and getting better There are a lot of people out there who want to help you and are able to help you and find people who can be in your corner because we're out there.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Johanna, for joining me today. Lots of takeaways. And uh, I just appreciate both your friendship and and the conversations you and I have had. They've helped me a ton.
1: Thanks so much, Chris. It was a pleasure.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, what did you think? I hope you have some takeaways that you can implement in your life right now to help out with some of those stress reactions that are happening in all of us. Hey, Jamie and I want to hear from you. Uh, Depending on where you're consuming this, if it's on YouTube, go ahead and click in one of those corners and start following this channel. You can also give a thumbs up or a thumbs down, depending on what you thought. Drop a comment in there, share it with a friend if you're consuming this on an Apple podcast platform, Spotify Facebook you can rate and review us. We would really appreciate a five star rating if we don't deserve five stars mm-mm, they're your stars you don't give them out right You don't give them out uh, but we'd really appreciate it if you think we've earned it. Uh, if if we haven't you can shoot me an email at Chris at let me know what your thoughts are how we could get better. Uh, You can also let us know of future Marriage Monday topics or future guests for us to interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we only get to live this life once. So let's go out and live it well. Let's love on the people around us. Take care and God bless.